0: From the McCourtney Institute for Democracy and the studios of WPSU
1: on the campus of
0: Penn State University, I'm Michael Berkman.
1: And I'm Chris Beam, and this is Democracy Works. Season three, Chris. Yeah, who, who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk right? it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to just you know, take a minute and say thank you to all the folks who um, around the world, really, who are are, are listening. And uh, um, we appreciate your your interest and your support, and uh, glad to be out here for uh, for another season. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And let us know how we're doing and what you'd like to hear us talk about. And
1: absolutely, we, yeah, we, we really, want more. Yeah, we want yeah, more feedback. Right. Absolutely,
0: yeah. So uh, we're starting an exciting new partnership this year, Chris,
1: with uh, WPSU. Right, uh, and as you, the, the Emmy Award winning, that's right, WPSU, that's right, yeah. And uh, uh, and we've been here all from the beginning, but we've uh, kind of up the ante on both sides in terms of our relationship. And uh, um, it it bodes well for, for, for both of us, I think, moving forward.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's uh, much to our benefit to be uh, mm-hmm. to be working with the uh, professionals at w- yeah, WPSU. Yeah, they, they make, it it, can it, only it, help.
1: us. Yes, exactly. Um, they both. Yeah, we always say that Jenna makes us sound smarter than we are, and uh, WPSU makes us sound better than we do. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: uh, Chris, we're starting we're starting season three with a uh, with a really appropriate topic and that is what is democracy
1: right we uh, we were uh, fortunate enough to uh, bring in uh, astra taylor who is a uh, an activist a writer a musician and 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 most relevantly a filmmaker Um, her film what is democracy by the time this uh, podcast uh, releases uh, it will have uh, it will be premiering in chicago and new york um, we heard about it at the uh, Toronto Film Festival in the summer of 2018. And, and through the uh, work of uh, folks at Penn State, we we're able to bring her in.
0: Yeah, yeah. She starts with, you know, a very interesting question, a very important question, one that we've posed ourselves to students around campus and at various events that we've been at. And that is just you know, what do you think democracy is?
1: Right. And um, her, you know, she she, she argues that you know, democracy is this really amorphous term, and everybody kind of has this, you know, largely good feeling about it, but uh, nobody really kind of can articulate, or many people cannot articulate, what it means, and and what it and and most and just as importantly, what it requires of us, right? I mean, what does it mean to be part of a democracy? What does it mean to be a citizen in a democracy?
0: Right. There, there are many really valuable points that come out of this this film. Two that two that strike me is, is one that uh, democracy is, democracy evolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, democracy is often not at all inclusive. Which seems like a complete contradiction. Well, history, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, our own democracy started with uh, started with slavery, mm-hmm. and so obviously it's an incomplete democracy. And our democracy has uh, has grown over time; it has become more all-encompassing. But you know, a point that she makes is that democracy is often quite limited in in terms of who it who it embraces. And 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 I think the second important point that she makes concerns the uh, the challenges for maintaining democracy in capitalist societies,
1: especially global economies. Right, so, um, so yeah, the, the first part, um, you know, your first question of, of uh, you know, who do we, meet? when we say we the people, who's we? When we say all men are created equal, who is all men? What does that mean? And you could, you could write American history as being the slow and painful <laughs> and, and um, struggle of uh, expanding that definition, right? But when, when at the point of the founding, it was um, all men meant all white property holding men. And that was it, right? And so over time, you've expanded that definition, but there's still many people who don't feel like they're included. Yeah, I mean, there's a natural tension between
0: capitalism and democracy because capitalism leads to inequality and then democracy sort of celebrates equality in all voices. And, but, but I think thought about it even more subtly, it, it, presents, it presents a challenge in this way, and that is that politically elected leaders are dependent upon the functions carried out by the capitalist by those who are leaders in the capitalist economy.
1: Well, and, and the film pushes it back even farther than that, right? It goes back to ancient Greece, and it, and it, there's a lot of quotes from Plato. Plato, I mean, you know, by many regarded to be the first Western philosopher, um, thought that democracy was completely unsustainable for these very reasons. But, I mean, I think the, the fact that we're going this far um, is a good reason to stop and bring in Astra and Jenna.
2: This is Jenna Spinelli here today with Astra Taylor. Astra, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So we are excited to talk with you about your film, What is Democracy? Which is a a big question to tackle in in a a documentary, but um, certainly explore it from many different angles. Um, I I heard you mention uh, in the film that you maybe had not intended to... Make a, a film specifically about democracy, but it was something you kept coming back to i'm I'm curious what you had intended to do and and you know what was it about this question of of, of democracy that kept you coming back to it
3: yeah, and the film I thought it was important to include my sort of grappling with the film's theme right um and and uh, so i think you know I think when I embarked on the project. I started filming it at the end of 2015. I actually wrote the first email to my producers suggesting the idea in 2013. I actually thought, well, maybe I'll come up with something beyond democracy. Maybe I will come to the conclusion that we need something new, a new word, a new concept, a new way of organizing our social life. And yet, as I say in the film, I kept coming back to democracy. And I think, for me, the big takeaway of of making this film and writing the companion book that goes with it is I've I've actually become more of a small-D Democrat, It's it's sort of inspired a deep conviction um, in the concept, in the practice, and things that bothered me about the term, it's vagueness. What does it mean, right? All sorts of people say that they believe in democracy. I mean, North Korea has the word democratic or what is it, the People's Republic... The democratic
2: people's democratic republic. People's
3: democratic republic. And yeah. <laughs> my anarchist friends, you know, praise democracy. Uh, you know, George Bush was bringing democracy to Iraq, right? But it's, so its vagueness. I think a few years ago, I thought, okay, well, this is a sign that this 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 word has no core meaning. It has no essence. But now I actually see its ambiguity as part of its power because it's this it's this promise that we can keep trying to fulfill.
2: Mm-hmm. So you you said you've kind of come to see yourself more as, as a small D Democrat. I would have said you were a small D Democrat long before the, you know, back to, to um, Occupy Wall Street and you know, even perhaps before that. I mean, what, how did that kind of evolution happen in, in your
3: mind? Yeah, I mean, I think though, I, I think I didn't find the word democracy very exciting. It wasn't rousing. I mean, there's a sense that democracy is, I mean, that it was corrupted, that it, it was synonymous with bureaucracy. Right. So I would have been more attracted to words like freedom and equality and justice and even socialism or revolution. Um, You know, I mean, democracy is I mean, people like us are interested in it, make films about it and have podcasts about it. But I don't think it's a word that most people think is exciting. And, you know, in fact, my you know, I'm I'm more typically a writer than a filmmaker. I haven't made a film in 10 years. And when I told my literary agent I wanted to write a book about democracy, she was just like, oh, God, you know, that sounds like a boring civics lesson and you're going to kill your career. And like that she was just like, wake up. That is not a word that inspires people. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and things have really changed. I think we're in a really different political moment than when when we had that, uh, that exchange, because right now we're in a moment where people are feeling that there's a profound political crisis and feeling like you know, a democracy that they took for granted is in decline. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're we're actually seeing people sort of feeling like, oh, gosh, I better um, pay attention to this thing that I was ignoring. Right. And, and did you see some of that play out in the course of, of, of making the film? You know,
2: you, you said you started in 2015, 2016 and kind of continue. Did it continue on
3: after the um, 2016 election or? No, I, the last week of filming was the 2016 election. Okay. I filmed for a few days after Trump's victory. And, um, you know, and like most people, I was surprised. I filmed at a Trump rally in North Carolina, and I had attended one maybe two weeks prior. And that was sort of my first, just on a sort of being surrounded by his supporters in, you know, rural North Carolina. There was this sense I sort of went home and couldn't sleep. And I was like, I think things are not as safe as I anticipated that they were. But, um, but I, yeah, I sort of, you know, had that as sort of the horizon that the point at which I would stop shooting. So um, things, yeah, I think people got more concerned with democracy, they got more um, sort of panicked. And yet, you know, I think what's interesting about the film and how it turned out in the editing room is actually the footage that I shot earlier was somehow more power. it, 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 it it didn't lose its relevance because so many problems existed then they've existed for decades or as the film tries to show for, for millennia. So it's not. And in fact, the closer we got to this sort of moment of crisis of the election, actually I found that people almost couldn't think the interviews weren't as good because people were just in the state of, Panic that was not very philosophical, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no,
2: coming, kind of like uncovering um, these issues that pe- that had been there all along. People just hadn't been thinking about talking about. Yeah,
3: and so I mean, I was pursuing political you know themes in my interviews, and and so the things that people were raising in 2015, you know, are still relevant. And in a way, they're sort of the the cause of the the crisis that we're now in. And in all of my work, whether it's my writing or my filmmaking. I, my temperament is always to emphasize continuity and to sort of put change in its place. So I wrote a book called The People's mm-hmm. Platform that's about um, you know, the digital revolution. And you know, my, my thesis and in the introduction is that we've, we've downplayed continuity, that actually the problems with our communications, our sort of digital communications, is are actually the problems that existed in the old media landscape. So consolidation, commercialism, these are problems that have carried over Sure. Right. And so when we sort of say there's been a revolution or talk about the sort of novelty, or, or are astonished by the fact we have, you know, a tiny computer in our pockets, mm-hmm. we're ignoring these sort of bigger trends that are these longer trends that are, are really essential. And so the film, you know, has a sort of similar approach in the sense that it's like, Yes, something unprecedented has happened, but also you can see um Similar dynamics throughout history, and so the film goes back to Plato and the Republic, mm-hmm. and, and warnings about the demagogue. Mm-hmm. And, and you you ask uh, several people in in the
2: film questions that 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 we've been asking that you know what does democracy mean to you? And um, it, when when I've asked it, I've gotten everything from from the patriarchy to volunteering at at, at nonprofits. And you also got a, a whole range of of responses um, to to that question. And you know people brought up um freedom and and justice and and equality and uh, you know I'm wondering if the the fact that democracy is something that people can kind of project all of these different things onto is that a good thing or you know how to how does that kind of help us get to a shared <laughs> definition of,
3: of yeah. you know what it is I think the fact people have different answers is a good thing but I actually I I didn't find that people had answers that were particularly in depth um and actually, nobody said democracy was equality to me. Hmm. That was a word that that I sort of expected to hear, but it wasn't um, something I encountered. So I got a lot of, I you know, I found that when I really engaged people and started asking, they could ha- they could have quite interesting things to say about their lives and and the political situation. But when I posed directly the the question, "What is democracy?" Um, you know, their their answers could be kind of cursory or or there could be platitudes and i think that's a sign that like that's a symptom that that's a symptom that something is wrong right that that people can't really robustly or personally explain this concept that is supposedly so essential to our society right and i think part of the problem is that democracy isn't something people really do a lot of you know and we yeah we we you know hold up elections so yeah you have your you know trip to the voting booth or maybe you have the sort of fleeting euphoria of a street protest but i don't think democracy is something people really feel they experience day to day and that's part of why i think people have a hard time defining it mhm yeah there we we talk
2: all the time on the show about you know democracy is is hard work it's going to meetings it's having conversations with people you might not agree with and you know trying to, to have a sense of empathy you know kind of trying to to understand what where other people are are coming from um so one thing i i did not hear um, ex- expressed in the film was this notion of, of um, classical liberalism. So norms, institutions, those those kind of things. Did that factor at all into to your thought process and you putting putting the film together?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it, at different points, there was a lot more about the rule of law and, um, and sort of thinking about I, I sort of I thought about different sort of tensions in democracy as I was going into it. And so on was sort of like rule of law or the rule of the people, right? So sort of um, – and, uh, you know, that – it just didn't end up being the most sort of compelling um, uh, issue. So there is stuff – I mean, there's stuff about sort of structure. Nobody uses the word norms, but there's stuff about structure and rules woven throughout the film, you know, and sort of who writes the rules. And, you know, Reverend Barber talks about attacks on voting rights. Um, you know, at one point Wendy Brown made a more sort of direct um uh comparison between sort of liberalism mm-hmm. and a sort of R- Rousseauian vision of popular sovereignty, but you know, all of my uh, mm-hmm. test viewers were like, My eyes are glazing over. <laughs> right. and, and you know, liberalism is as hard to define as democracy is. Mm-hmm. I mean that's a that's a that's a big and vague
2: mm-hmm. concept
3: there too. So everything was like a can of worms. You know, it was like I'd throw in a word and be like, Oh my god, now I have to have to um have to go and define this. So uh, I think I think this the issue of structure is is there, but it's implicit. And you know, and the one person who sort of makes the case for not really norms, but the rule of law, is an Afghan refugee mm-hmm. who's saying, you know, yeah, we need to have systems. We need to have systems of punishment. Like, you know, we can't just have you know total freedom or even some romantic idea that if we are free, we'll just collaborate <laughs> and it'll all be great. So I mean, part of it is part of my attempt also was to raise sort of these fundamental issues, but in language that's not necessarily the typical academic or philosophical language, because when regular people, meaning just, you know, we're all regular people, but meaning non-experts, meaning those of those of us who don't, you know, read and engage um, the scholarly literature. I mean, people bring up these issues, they just don't use the academic or philosophical or, you know, left-wing rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, I, I feel like it's sort of hinted at, but it's just in, in sort of, yeah, common common tongue. Do you do you have a a sense
2: of like where the line between democracy and populism is? I think kind of kind of like you know absent some of the you know liberalism and your know, rule of law type of things. There's there's
3: kind of a, a slippery slope. Yeah, I'm still thinking through the the term populism because um, so I think I think. There Well, there's a lot of, right now, that's also another word, like liberalism and like democracy. There's a huge literature around it, and it's sort of up for debate. And I think there's a a battle over different definitions of populism, and there are attempts to claim populism on the left and the right. I think the right is making a a much more successful pitch. Um, uh, I've noticed, actually, a lot of conservative intellectuals actually calling themselves now populists, which is interesting. Um, So... You know, this, this idea of popular sovereignty is in the film, right? That, okay, if by its classical definition, democracy is the people ruling. But I didn't, I didn't get into, okay, well, when does that slip into populism? And I have to say there's a way in which the word populism is being used now mostly by liberals that's bothering me. And it's, it's basically this sort of thing of tarnishing people on the far right and the far left as populists equally. And, in fact, I've been sort of tarnished as as a populist by a very pro, you know, a prominent liberal writer as though I was like the double of Steve Bannon because I organize debtors. Um I, I basically, you know, when I'm not making films or writing, I organize around student debt and um and uh try to, you know, help people have fairer terms or get debt abolition if they've gone to fraudulent like predatory colleges. You know, I'm not um I don't know. I mean, so that's where I start to worry that the term has kind of lost some of its, um, you know, lost some of its purpose or, or, yeah, like, kind of
2: kind of the Steve Bannonization of it or
3: yeah, kind of yeah. Over. Well, I mean, it just can't be a synonym for everything we don't like, <laughs> you know, whether it's coming whatever side it's coming from. So I'm trying to figure out what the proper role is. I mean, you know, I think, you know, I think America has a very interesting tradition of like capital P mm-hmm. populism. Mm-hmm. That was a specific, you know, historical political movement. Um, but I'm still wrestling with what that word means in this this moment, and um, and it's not something I would define myself as. So when somebody says I fit in it, then I go, hmm, what's going on? <laughs>
2: The uh, the film as as it's coming to an end, um, Cornell West talks a little bit about uh, Dostoevsky's paradox. Can you can you um, explain what that is? I think that that's kind of relevant too in this this argument about the the hard work of, of of democracy and why people might not necessarily be inclined to to do it outside of things like voting or those kind of momentary momentary. Well, things. I
3: mean, the question I you know the film is trying to look at some of the structures that are preventing democratic um, uh, processes and um, expressions, you know, so there's a lot in the film about the role of finance and the power of markets and, you know, and sort of minority rule, you know, but then at the end of the film, I, I asked the question, which is, you know, well, do people want to rule themselves? I mean, do people want to be free? And, um, and i think that you know it's a tough question i mean philosophers have you know existentialists have long <laughs> talked about the sort of abyss of freedom and the fact that people retreat from it or flee from it um and and you know i think the the thing is there's you know as 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 cornell says there's a lot of evidence on the sort of negative led- side of the ledger right that you know people don't want to be free that you know democr- democratic processes have enabled sort of you know, the rise of fascism and all sorts of unappealing things. And, um, and yet, on the other side, lo and behold, a lot of great ideas have come from below, right? I mean, a lot of, of the, the principles and the um, progress that we value have come from people who we might think we shouldn't trust. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I, I think that tension is really fundamental. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think as a woman... Right. If you go back and you sort of read (laughs) the historical record and there's all these, you know, smart guys saying we can't let women have the vote. I mean, they're just so irrational. And by the way, the husband has them covered. It's all good. You know, you think, OK, well, then that means that, you know, not that long ago I was part of this, you know, untrustworthy Mm -hmm. mob. So who am I to project onto people that they can't be trusted today? The film also
2: spends a good amount of time talking about the notion of, of inequality, uh, economic inequality, racial inequality, and that's I mean, we there's certainly lots of, of folks saying we can't really fix what's wrong with democracy until we solve these other these other uh, issues of of uh, inequality. Did you gain any understanding through the, the course of making this film about how we might do that, what some of the, the steps to, to take might be? I know it's one of those questions that's like so hard that like it's hard to even know where to where to start to, to, to tackle it.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely of the mindset that you cannot have political equality, that people can't enjoy the political rights that they have on paper in, under conditions of extreme inequality. Right. So... I, The question, though, of how to rein in the engines that are producing these um, conditions and this immense concentration of wealth, I mean, it's a real challenge. So I think part of the film is, and it, it, that's the work I do as an activist. Mm-hmm. So the work around debt is looking mm-hmm. at, um, it, what, it, what I'm really trying to do with my colleagues at the Debt Collective is open up a new avenue to fight inequality. So there have been labor unions, for, you know, a long time uh, fighting for economic um, economic reform by using the workplace as a site to build power. So the idea of, of, that we're operating on is that debtors can also organize and use their debts as a form of asset. And a, a, a debt as debt, you know, debt is an asset, and so you can use that as a form of power to advocate um, for change. And you know, there's things about debt that are really that make it hard. So, for example, debtors don't share a workplace. But then the upside of that is that it um, these conditions of indebtedness also bond people who live in different areas. So it's something that sort of transcends the urban and rural divide yeah. and unites people of different races and genders and ages. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, but it's it's a challenge. How do we get people to go from their personal condition of, you know, having to go into debt because they're not paid enough or because they don't have access to affordable education or healthcare, and then create a strategy that can then, you know, produce a change within the financial system or the state when the when those structures are also embedded in a global economy. <laughs> so the film is, you know, trying to honor how, how immense the challenge is right now. But I, I think, you know, the answer is organizing, right? And that's, you know, we know that, you know the period of relative you know relatively equal income distribution co- coincided with there being strong labor unions and and you know a different sort of economic you know new deal influenced international system so you know we have to change the structures and to do that people have to be organized
2: so as we kind of start to, to bring things to a close here, uh, you you mentioned earlier that you have a, a companion book to your film coming out. So where, where does the,
3: the book pick up? Yeah. So I think I don't know how other people edit movies without having this idea in their mind that it's okay. It can all go mm-hmm. in the companion book <laughs> because otherwise you have to kill all your darlings. Um, the, book, the book makes explicit a lot of the things that are implicit in the film, cinematic language and book language, if that's what it's called, they're just very different. I mean, or, and it's also just I approach them in a really different way. Um, the film for me is a space to let people speak. And there's this kind of politics of listening to the film that really matters to me. It's, it's, you know, I'm able to show people who we might not assume are, are experts in democracy and show them, you know, alongside quotes from Plato and, um, and to kind of, you know, um, uh, create this sort of democratic chorus that I think is, to me, I I still find it powerful to see these young women, you know, sort of take the stage, mm-hmm. um, and older women too. I mean, all sorts of uh, people who, you know, we don't often see in um, in you know philosophical films. If we see philosophical mm-hmm. films, actually. <laughs> um, The book is, yeah. The book. Each each chapter of the book is about a sort of paradox or tension that I think will, you know, be with democracy as long as we have something that resembles democracy Mm -hmm. or is moving towards democracy. And it's it's really about the fact that, you know, it's a it's a process that's unending and is um, and requires a lot of attention and a lot of work.
2: Yeah. Can you give us an example of what some of those paradoxes are?
3: Yeah. So one paradox is structure versus spontaneity, um, uh, coercion versus consent or choice. Um, one is, you know, so there's also the tensions of space, the local versus the global, and of time, the present versus the future. And, you know, there's a lot in this in the book that will be familiar to people who do political science and political theory, but I've I've, you know, I'm I'm hoping that by taking these putting these tensions sort of front and center it it provides a sort of new perspective on these on these issues and you know in line with the film it mixes it mixes voices so there's sort of voices from below and voices from above and voices from history and voices from now um and i think you know the the form and the uh of the book is you know a, a pretty unique but the con- the way it mixes mixes people up i think is also democratic. Right.
2: So after doing
3: all this work, the, the book and the film, what does democracy mean to you after? Ooh, yeah, so I think democracy is a promise, going back to that, but I think it's not a promise that the powerful make and then break, right? We go, oh, you know, they're not doing our democracy for us. I really think it's a promise that can only be fulfilled by the people taking the time in, um, and thinking and acting. You know, in making it as real as it can be. And I don't think it can ever just be fulfilled. It's not something that we ever just grasp and then we get to just relax and tweak on the margins. I really think it's a perpetual struggle. So I think in the in the book, I'm like, you know, yes, we had our founding fathers, but I think we need to be perennial midwives birthing this democracy Mm -hmm. into being.
2: Right, Well, that's, that's a, a great message to end on, certainly in line with the, the, the theme of our show and kind of everything that we're, we're trying to do with, with our podcast here. Um, we're going to close, as we always do, with our four Mood of the Nation poll questions. Um, oh, I didn't know this. So I'm not ready. These are, we'll think of this like, like a lightning round. Um, four uh, emotions thinking specifically about American politics. So, again, thinking specifically about American politics, uh, what makes you angry?
3: Oh, my God. What makes me angry? Um, Isn't that funny? My mind is like, God, I feel like if I open the gate, there'll just be so many things. Um, What makes me angry? Hubris. Uh, What makes you proud? Mm. Resistance. What makes you worry? Oh, climate change. And what gives you hope? The people.
2: All right, I think those might be our shortest answers ever. So you kept to, kept to the lightning round for sure. Uh, um, thank you, Astra, so much for your time. Thanks so for having me. Thanks it. for the great
3: questions.
1: All right. Well, there was a, there's a lot to chew on in that uh, discussion. One thing that I thought was interesting, and I thought really true, is her argument that, or her, you know, what she said that uh, democracy means. Anything you want it to mean, and so you can have everybody from Ch- Kim Jong Un to the folks at Occupy Wall Street to George W. Bush all saying we, we we're advancing democracy.
0: Well, you know, if we've as we've discussed with some of our other guests, or certainly in our book review episode, going back two two full seasons. That's now, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, democracy can lead to very undemocratic sort of outcomes, mm-hmm. or at least democracy can lead to very illiberal sorts of outcomes. Democracy can lead to very authoritarian right. kinds of outcomes. So there's, there's a lot wrapped up in these terms. Uh, it, it, it is difficult and a lot to expect of people on the street anyway to you know, recognize that when you're talking about democracy and the idea that the people rule, you're not necessarily talking about, although you are in the American case, talking about the protection of rights and freedoms and, uh, and minority rights. As well, which are very much built into the American political system and are, you know, are a reflection more of a small L liberalism mm-hmm. than they necessarily are of, of democracy.
1: No, that's clearly that's clearly right. You ha- with if you simply have democracy without any concern for the, the rights of the minority and the rights to say things that the ma- majority doesn't like or believe what the majority doesn't want you to believe without those rights. You know, Plato's argument is correct, that um, democracy is not sustainable, that it will inevitably lead to either anarchy or tyranny. And so... Um, So, and that is exactly what we've said uh, the the founders were so concerned about. And so why there's a Bill of Rights, right? And why um, the courts are set up to defend those rights. Because if you leave it to, there's a point in the film where Cornel West is saying, you know, my rights as a black man are not because of democracy. They're because of the least democratic institutions in American society.
0: Right. Indeed. I mean, when you look back at that period, you're at a time where African. African Americans had very few democratic rights. I mean, mm-hmm. their, their their ability to vote was highly restricted. They had uh, very little representation in any policymaking bodies, or at where all. they
1: could live, or what jobs they could.
0: I mean, but right. the American political system is set up with protections against democracy because those were democratic outcomes. Co- exactly, those right. were democratic outcomes. But the American political system is set up with a counter-majoritarian court system. Mm-hmm. You know, which ultimately. Uh, which which ultimately overturned much of uh, much of segregation through through Brown and other court Mm -hmm. decisions. Uh, The American political system is also set up with these protections for uh, assembly and speech that allow for sort of social movements and protest and dissent outside of elected political bodies and and so there's a lot that goes beyond you know simple democratic rights in the American political system uh, that can allow for actual freedom
1: and for a just more just outcome so yeah so she mentioned democracy can lead to very unjust outcomes and without these um, and the, the argument is that without these liberal um, the, the the bulwarks of liberalism it inevitably will lead to those outcomes because people aren't naturally just. They aren't naturally, you know, accommodating to the minority point of view. And, and so it is only – and so the, the point is that, you know, if you're going to say what's the difference between populism and democracy or what's the difference between populism and a working democracy, it is the fact that, these, that populism is constrained, that the majority will is constrained, and you can't – you know, you cannot decide everything by majority will.
0: Right, and populism also has this element of uh, of an us against them built into it, mm-hmm. which is which, which, say which more is, about that. Which is highly it... divisive, and I mean that's
1: why populism can be on the left and the right. And this idea of you know rising inequality is undermining democracy. That too is a is a theme that that you know you can trace throughout the history of of America, or of Western political thought. The idea that um, if you have um, wealthy people. If the wealthy just people just keep becoming wealthy, and the poor people just don't have any opportunity, even with democracy, to um, to constrain that power, then democracy becomes either a sham or it descends into yeah. Tyranny. I
0: suppose. Although you know, I think maybe it's a little bit more useful not to think of it in terms of wealthy people or not, but just the capital is very mobile in a global economy and the the very mobility of capital gives it a certain kind of power and we we saw this in the united states too i mean just think back to the you know the times when we had a really dominant sort of Textile industry in New England, or Mm -hmm. automobile and steel steel industry, industry and and, and these were relatively immobile sorts of uh, sorts of economic enterprises. mm -hmm. They needed to be where they were, and that gave political that gave the people in those areas and politicians in those areas a certain amount of political leverage. Mm -hmm. They had to be there, right? And this also, I think, allowed labor unions to grow very strong and good jobs. jobs. (sighs) But it was when automobile industry, for example, learned that it could move out to Japan, or down to the south, the same with the textile industry, can move off to Asia or down into you know South Carolina or something or Latin America. Then, then th- that mobility of capital gives it a certain kind of power over people and democratically elected leaders. Because you're all trying to get a hold of this mobile capital. I mean, just think about the kinds of offers that cities around the United States were making to try to get Amazon mm-hmm. when they said, you know, we're going to build a plant. And, you know, so when they're talking about offering tax breaks of different times, they're basically saying, well, we're going to do less in our public sector <laughs> if that's what we need to do. Right. Because 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 we need to get you here. Right. We, we want need you here. We need what you're doing. We need the jobs that you're offering mm-hmm. and, and you're mobile and can go anywhere. Right. And so that puts you in a strong position over us. And I, I think that's part of – you know that, that starts to get at why this sort of global economy is such a challenge for democracy. Now, on the other side of it, it offers us tools for democracy like social media potentially that we might not have had before. Well, and it creates incredible wealth. Yeah, so all valuable points. The movie raises all kinds mm-hmm. of uh, all kinds of issues, many of which, uh, you know, nice way to open the season, right? Because lots of uh, many issues which I know we're going to address in later podcasts during the season. For example, we're we're going to talk in in some detail uh, about inequality and and where it comes from and why, at least in the American context, economic inequality and how
1: that plays into political inequality and, and how it it you know how. <laughs> how it um, sets the terms for uh, a, a democratic society and, and, you know, whether or not, you know, at some point inequality come, becomes so extreme that it makes it hard to sustain a democracy. What are those points? How do we identify them and what do we do about them? So this is a really good, uh, you know, kind of entree into our season three where we're laying out some big Issues and we're once again reinforcing the idea that uh, democracy is hard. It's not natural. It's not easy, and it really requires something of all of us. You or- know, if it's going to work well. Yes, and
0: and what a great what a great way to start our season with this film that gets right at. Right at some of the issues that the McCourtney Institute for Democracy is concerned about. What, what is democracy right. today? Right.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Thanks to Jenna. Thanks to Astra for uh, for coming into campus and for showing her movie, being so generous with her time. And uh, thanks to all you for for listening. I'm I'm Chris Beam. I'm Michael Berkman. And this is Democracy Works.
2: Democracy Works is produced by the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State and WPSU Penn State. Our hosts are Michael Berkman, Chris Beam, and me, Jenna Spinelli. Andy Grant is our engineer, and Mark Stitzer is our editor. Additional support comes from Emily Reddy, Shireen Stanford, Craig Johnson, and the rest of the team at WPSU. For detailed show notes and discussion questions for each episode, visit our website at democracyworkspodcast.com. And if you like what you heard today, please consider rating or reviewing us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.